You know, we've all got a box. You were given a box when you were born. But your parents have a box too. And then you meet somebody, maybe you get married, and, and that guy, that girl, they've got a box. And what you do with that and how you bring that makes all the difference in the world. It's Father's Day. And I'm going to address a lot of my comments today, specifically some of you men who are or will be uh, dads. But it really applies to all of us. Because, you know, um, the things that that we have in our box, the things that, you know, flow, flow out of that, uh, focus when you're, when you're little, even when you're born all the way up to about, really about 18 months, you're thinking, you know, you're, you're just your needs, your food, your protection, your comfort, that's all. But as you grow and develop, you begin to put, more and more things in that box, and that becomes really who you are and who you will be for a long time. And some of us feel the pressure of that uh, as, as parents because we begin to understand along the way that whatever we do to influence that, it's going to happen within probably the first 12 years. 80% of this box is full. And we are who we are, and we're probably going to not stray very far from that for years and decades and decades. So we feel that pressure. Now, a healthy dad, a healthy mom, it's going to allow you to be your own person. But not everybody gets that right, and it's never done with 100% you know, accuracy. We all make mistakes, and we're not sure sometimes what to transfer, you know, the emotions, the beliefs that we hold, the values that we have, the wants, and what it is we put in other people's boxes. One thing I'm beginning to understand and, and have, and I, I put this called less, or lessons from a father, because I want to just talk to you today mostly as a dad, because I've been a dad for a long time, and I've done some brilliant things as a father, and I've made some awful mistakes. But I know this, I can't manage my kids' boxes. I can't manage my wife's box. And she can't manage mine, and they can't manage mine. You know, uh, that's what this is about. There's a book uh, in, the New, in the Old Testament called Proverbs, and we're going to look at that in just a moment because one of the things that it points out, I think, is that many of us, we, we, we're not sure how to be dads, and it, maybe it's a little terrifying, it's exciting, and it's, a, it, it's like the biggest thing I've ever done. It's, it's, I think it's the most important thing, uh, but it's something that we enter into without any training. You know, some of you guys are in high school and you think, man, I went 12 years to school so that I can go four more years. And then some of us went three more years and then three more years or four more years. And it's like you're, you're so educated and you're so, you know, uh, trained in the area of what you want to do. And then you get experience in that. And you put all that energy and time 
and finances into, into being able to pursue a career that you would feel confident and competent in. But how do you be a dad? If, if I say being a father is the most important thing I ever have done and I didn't receive one minute's training, one day of education in that, isn't something a little off about that? So, guys, I'm challenging you to pursue an education in how to be a good dad. Because here's what I see happening. And I'm not picking on millennials. I'm not picking on boomers. I'm not picking on any generation. But I'm saying typically, I see fathers either unsure and they're not real confident. And like, I don't know what to do with this child. And so they just step back and they abandon that role to the mother. And they kind of count on her to raise the children while they provide the living. And they're out the door and they're back in. And maybe they give a little bit of time, but they're not investing. And dads are called on to discipline or to provide or maybe to teach some of the big lessons. And then we wonder, why is this not working? So, Father, sometimes that's our go-to position is just to step back and go, you know what, I'll be in the garage. Or when it comes time for them to learn how to hit, run, catch, and throw, or I'll be there for those kind of things. Or we're there and we're not sure what to do, so we mimic however it was that we were raised. And that becomes our default. We just do whatever our, our dad did, and he's probably doing whatever his dad did before him. And a lot of that parenting
write them on the tablet of your heart, on the very person who you are. Godliness, it seems then, is first and foremost this, this God-shaped inner integrity. It's this, this divinely inspired attitude that drives you to be quick to forgive, ready to reconcile, as well as being the kind of husband, the kind of dad, or wife, or friend, or grandfather, or aunt, or uncle, who refuses to run, but instead fights for the future of that relationship and for the future of that child. In verse 5 to 8, the father continues with this inward focus on the art of godliness and, and tells us that a truly godly person will, will not only have an attitude of, of this insistent kind of love, this just relentless love for others, but also there is this intellectual kind of humility about ourselves. Now, I came, I was born uh, in the generation that had just come out of World War II and, and Korea, and then in my generation, right before me, there's Vietnam. So you've got manly men who are confident and who, who themselves have watched a lot of John Wayne and Clint Eastwood westerns. And, you know, and we were taught, you're just being tough. You know, you just, you gotta just, you gotta, you gotta be the guy. You gotta be the, the man. And so sometimes we don't show weakness. And we pretend like we've got it all together and we don't have any flaws and we know everything. A truly godly person will not only have an attitude of insistent love, but we're, we're going to have this humility and this awareness of ourselves. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and be not wise in your own eyes. That sounds simple, um, but it's a key skill for godliness is to, to be able to come to the place where you refuse to believe that he or she, you know, mom or dad, you may be in a single parent home, you may be in a completely different environment, but let's just, it's okay to say, I don't have all the answers and I'm working on this myself. Truly godly people become aware of their limitations and and not just submit themselves to the wisdom or the advice of others, but they get grounded. And let me tell you, one of the ways that's going to help you, because this is one, one of the things I see, and I think social media is a great thing, but isn't it, doesn't it seem like every other day that whatever way that yesterday somebody told you this is the right way to raise a child, you've been doing it all wrong, you know, and they're going to rant or they'll, they'll you know, reference this blog and you look and think, oh my goodness, this is, I've been doing it all wrong. You know, and then you wait a year or so and then somebody else comes along and says, oh no, that's all wrong and this is the right way to do it. And, you know, you think, no wonder I'm so messed up because my parents keep changing their philosophy and their idea. I read an article yesterday that said coconut oil is not nearly as healthy as we thought it was. I thought, what? A couple of years ago, I switched from whatever to coconut oil because everybody was saying, it's the secret weapon of health. What have I done? I've been cooking everything in coconut oil. You know, and it's now I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I think as parents, we feel that sometimes. so much wisdom here and it's practical it's not just devotional learning the art of godliness is learning the art of prayer 
It's becoming men who pray and seek the Lord and study in scriptures and submitting ourselves to the truth that we see revealed there. It's the, the ability to engage in repentance. And if necessary, let your kids see that you repent and that you turn away in an active way from the things that are damaging and you lean into this unrelenting love and witness, uh, wisdom and this goodness of Jesus instead. And that's whether it's a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter who does those things becomes more and more humble and that just produces a spirit of godliness. And he continues. He says the father, and he shifts away from these, these inner attitudes and he puts the focus on how a, a godly person approaches uh, several real practical. He just brings up one of the stickiest issues, I guess, as we face as human beings. And that is in verse 9 and 10, the stewardship of our belongings. You see, in the old days, you know, or maybe when you're a kid, you think, okay, how do I prove that I'm the toughest guy? Well, I'm going to hit the ball the furthest. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to, I'm going to beat up that guy. I'm going to do, you know, it was all about that physical kind of presence. And as you grow older and that becomes less and less appropriate, uh, how do you do that? And here's what a lot of guys do. It's with their financial wealth. It's with their material goods. We start putting confidence and we start raising the bar with, you know, inanimate objects. And this has been in almost every culture I've, I've ever seen. I was on the Navajo reservations for a couple of dozen times. And I was there once and some men were talking about uh, another man who wasn't there. And the question they asked was, how many sheep does he have? And the guy said, well, I think he's got this many. And I thought, that's a funny question. But that was the measuring stick in that culture. Whoever had the most sheep was the biggest guy. He was the, he was the most important man. Fellas, you're buying into something that's not genuine and that it's not true. Too often we wrongly attach so much of our identity and our self-worth and our personal peace in the accumulation of inanimate objects. You're never going to be satisfied and your children are going to get the wrong lesson and pursue that. The godly begin to understand that this is slightly different. The godly have become, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to kind of re reverse that tendency we have that we're born with, that hoarding kind of thing. I see it even in my, my grandchildren. You know, they're perfectly content. I'm playing with this toy. Oh, but my brother has another one of the toys I have. Then I want that one and this one. And I think, why do you want that? But that's just, isn't that sort of built in? You've never had to teach your children to do anything other than to share and isn't that one of the biggest lessons that you started doing right off the bat? You know, we've got to learn how to share. And they don't understand that because it's built in. And as you grow up, it works the same way. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. And the first fruits were considered not only to be the first, but the best, the cream of the crop of all your produce. That's what this father says. And this father was wealthy. He said, that's what unlocks this satisfaction, this contentment. A godly man, a godly woman knows that. And a life lived in godliness is a life lived in financial generosity. And you let your kids see that. Let them experience giving, whether it's time and you do service projects together, whether it's your finances, whether it's your energy, whether it's how you volunteer let them be a part of that and let them see you as a dad 
who's stepping up and you're interested in more than just about yourself. And you'll find ways. And this, you know, this idea of giving and letting them learn, hey, I like giving. But that's a part of who we are is really powerful, powerful principle. Last, the, the writer of Proverbs uh, gives us this description of a godly life that I think is a pretty appropriate for Father's Day. It says the godly realize that God is, is in his sovereignty. He's molding and he's shaping our lives, that he's behind that, even to the point of correcting us. In verse 12, he says, The Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. As much as you'd love to make up your own rules or your kids just say, you know what, you're not going to have any disciplines, you're not going to have any rules, there's no boundaries, you're doing a disservice, and if you don't you know, follow through and make sure they understand that those are pretty firm, and it doesn't have to be with every value that, you know, your preference, but it has to be in accordance with the godly commandments, with scriptural commandments, and with principles that you've learned in scripture. Because it's not just going to happen without that. Like any good dad, he says, you know, God gets a say in your life. And he will discipline us, not punish us. Your sin's already been punished on the cross. There's a difference. But when you get too far off the path, he's going to discipline you and bring bring you back in. And you're not going to like it. But you're going to trust him and it's going to be good. The godly are not going to resent that and hold that against God, but you're going to see that as evidence. I'm still in. He still loves me. He still cares about me. He's not cruel when he disciplines me. He's letting me know, hey, I still got my eye on you, and I still love you, and I care too much about you to let you get out there where you're going to get hurt. God is at work in your struggles. He is at work to refine you, even through your brokenness. In fact, especially through your brokenness and your repentance, to draw us back to his word and his ways and to his son, Jesus. You're going to be a blessed man when you learn to repent. You learn to accept that godly discipline and teach your children that it's okay for them to accept that. As part of this bigger family, you know, God's family, we realize there's purpose in the pain, not punishment. And that's sometimes God's going to let us hit rock bottom, and you're going to realize that God is the rock at the, at the bottom of things. And your kids are going to grow up with confidence. There's a little phrase called differentiation. And what that means is that there's this process to separation. You see, you have your kids, you know, 17, 18, 20 years. Some of you have them 25 or 30 years. We can talk about that in another lesson. But, uh, but the idea is that you are creating a bigger distance between their dependency on you and their independence and their reliance on God. That's the whole point. And some of you who maybe you have a tendency that, that you know, your kids are 14, 15, 16, 17, and you're still kind of being a helicopter, you know, over them. And you're still, you know, we, we got to kind of let go and create that, create that independence so that they can be a mature and healthy and godly adult. And so that's our purpose. That's what we do. Godliness like manliness is not easy. 
but it has a lot of benefits and consequences. I'll give you one example before we go. Did you know that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, that there is a 3.5% probability that everybody else in the household will follow? If the mother is the first to become a Christian, that goes up to a 17% probability that everybody else in the household will follow. But this, I can document it. If the father is first, there is a 93% probability that everybody in the household will follow. Man, you are profoundly influential in the lives of your children. Three times in this one little passage that we've read today, we have literally the phrase, the, the, the term, my son. It occurs 22 times in the Hebrew in the book of Proverbs. Much of this book is really strongly emphasizing the passing on of godly wisdom from father to son, from father to daughter. Let me just say this. Guys, men, those of you who are fathers and grandfathers, thank you for embracing the manly ways in which you have loved so well. We know you don't always get to do the things you want to do on your day off. You don't always get to drive the kind of car you'd like to drive anymore. You don't get to go the places or do the things with your money that you would like to do because you are engaged in loving the next generation. Thank you for that. We see that. The Lord sees that. And it's not for nothing. Let us pursue the art of godliness. Let us pursue being the men that this generation needs. Let us be people who are unrelenting in our love and in our humility. Let us be the kind of people who steward the stuff that God's given us for His purposes. And let us be men who do not despise the Lord's discipline. Now, here's what I'd like to do just to close out. And um, I, I said earlier that I believe there's power in a man's words, in a woman's words. I believe there's power in a blessing. And I would like if you are a father uh, or grandfather or you hope to be a dad, maybe in the next years to come. Can I just pray a prayer of blessing over you? Let's do that. I'm going to ask all of our dads, if you would, just to stand right where you are, and let's bow our heads just for a moment. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their giftedness, for their heart, for their passion. Father, I thank you that I see before me an army of warriors who in their heart of hearts long to be the men you've created them to be. And some of them are still struggling from wounds that they received as boys. Father, you are bringing healing into their lives, into their hearts and their souls and their minds and their spirits. 
Father, I pray for their healing. I pray for a blessing on them. Father, I pray that they would be able to abandon any shame that is still on them, any feelings of rejection that they might have experienced, and that, Lord, you would replace that with the grace and the love and the confidence of Jesus. Father, I pray for these men who are standing today, wherever they are in that process of being a dad. Some of these guys maybe don't even have a child yet, but they know that it's in their heart to be a father. Some, Lord, have little children, just infants in our nursery. Some have teenagers, some children, some grown children, some grandchildren. God, I pray you would anoint them wherever they are in that place, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would bless them to be mighty men of God, that, Lord, they would change this generation. I pray that they would not shirk from your discipline, nor from the responsibility you've given them to discipline the children in their home. Father, I pray that you would give them the grace that that discipline, that love would be consistent, not from event to event, but, Father, from day to day, moment to moment, that they would be unrelenting, they would be powerful and consistent in their love. That everything they do Everything they say would be motivated and driven by your love for them and their love for these children. Father, I pray where there needs to be forgiveness and reconciliation that you would extend that. I pray that if there are some of these men standing today who are estranged from their fathers, that, Father, you would give them as much as is within our ability to take that step forward toward reconciling with their dads. Father, I pray that they would be at peace with their sons and they would have reconciliation with their children, even if they have to, before this day is over, pull them aside and have a conversation and to be humble and to repent. Father, thank you for them. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the heart. Thank you for the sacrifices they've made for their wives and for their children. And I pray in Jesus' name a powerful blessing on them as they continue and they step forward in the roles that you've created them for. God, thank you for these men. I pray that their families would honor and respect them and love them. Give them room to make mistakes. Give them room to grow without fearing more shame. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you for being the best dad we could ever hope for, for being the kind of father and role model that we have. And Lord, we lean into your word and your spirit and by your grace today, we will be the men, the fathers, the grandfathers you've called us to be. And we will change an entire generation for Jesus. In his name, amen. God bless.